Welcome back to Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, the Corona Cold Reads troupe has now officially completed every play in Shakespeare's canon, um, and we are moving on. Uh, as I'm recording this, we are actually we have actually finished our initial run of plays, which lasted a year and a half. Um, we began the very first week that the lockdowns began in Toronto, and we met for a while every two uh, twice every week. Um, and then we moved to once a week and we really developed a core troop of actors, both pro and amateur who came together, um, to read these plays, uh, every single week for a year and a half. So, um, we are now releasing them all for you to enjoy in podcast form. They're also all available on YouTube. If you prefer to watch the video version, um, I will give you a heads up for specific episodes. If I really think you should watch the YouTube version, um, cause there's a few that have really fun costumes and impressions and some cool visual effects and things. But for the most part, you should be okay to listen in podcast form. Uh, please do keep in mind that these are all real cold reads. For the most part, nobody found out uh, who they were reading, what characters they were reading um, with more than 24 hours notice. In most cases, people are genuinely reading cold. They haven't looked at the text beforehand. So there will be some stumbles and there will be points at which people are on mute and we have to figure out what's going on or a dog wanders into the frame or we have to deal with life interfering with our um, coping strategy here. So uh, please do be patient with that sort of thing. Um, so as we, we finished all of Shakespeare, so now we're moving on to the rest of the, I don't know, written word, I guess. Um, our strategy here was to break uh, everything down into mini seasons. Um, so we, we, we begin with uh, a season of Chekhov plays, and then we end with a season of Shaw plays. And in between, uh, we do a Sorkin season and a season of, uh, we do some seasonal things. So um, one-offs for Halloween or for Christmas or things like that. So we have a romance season for Valentine's. So everything is sort of uh, built like that. Um, in little chunks. So I hope you enjoy and um, please do check us out at my ent world, my ENT world, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, there's lots of great contact content going up there, both designed for those platforms as well as linking you back to the website, which is myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find all of our written work, um, reviews from all sorts of different arts. Uh, branches and we also there have the links to um, each of these posts where you can find the full cast lists um, and links to the videos as well if you're interested in checking those out for corona cold reads um, and please do subscribe on itunes where you can find all of our uh, podcast content which there's tons of it we have all sorts of different series going um, we have the favorite series and corona cold reads and corona movie club and um season one episode one and all sorts of other uh, great content in, in addition to our regular my entertainment world podcast so um please do check that out rate and review all that jazz and uh thanks for tuning in welcome to the final episode of the Chekhov season um so this episode is uncle vanya uh which i think is probably my favorite Chekhov play i think it's so beautiful and so heartbreaking and it has so many interesting characters it's one of the smaller casts um but it's pr every single person i think has a very interesting journey in this show and a very interesting perspective um, and there's a lot of contrasting perspectives and contrast, like multiple people who disagree, who are not wrong. 
Um, and I think that's really always an intriguing idea. Um, yeah, I don't think I need to tell you very much more about Uncle Vanya. This is one of my very favorites. I'm glad you're listening. Um, please share this one. I want you to share this one because I, it's really special, I think. And it's the last Chekhov. And I loved Chekhov season so much. I know I've said that so many times. But it was so cool and rewarding and fun. And I think they translated beautifully. And I I know I keep repeating myself. Um, but anyway, I loved this one. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, the cast of Uncle Vanya is read by Corona Cold Reads. Uh, Sarah Brakov, Gabby Grice, Helena, or Yelena, depending on your uh, pronunciation, was Laura Hubbard. Uh, Sonia, another beautiful Chekhov performance from Laura- Elizabeth Morris. Um, Madame Voitskaya was Shailen McFall. Uh, Ivan, or Vanya, that's Michael Ross Albert, who guest starred in um, the majority of our Chekhovs. Um, this was the, he'd done a few of the Shakespeare's, but he really joined us for Chekhov season. And, and I very quickly started just casting him in all the leads in Chekhov because I just think he's a he's very compelling actor. You don't get to see him on stage very often, so it was really thrilling to see him, and I think that he's particularly good in Chekhov. So uh, this is sort of his big leading role is Vanya, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, he's joined by Michael Ostroff, played by Christopher Prentice, which um, he's always amazing, and he asked for this role. So um, of all of the Chekhovs, this is the one role he really wanted to play, so obviously I always I always give Chris what he wants because he's so wonderful in everything. Um, Waffles was played by Nicanor Campos. Marina was Fabiana Cabral, and a workman, Miriam Bach. So I loved this cast. They were so wonderful. And I really hope you enjoy this uh, audio drama because uh, I, I know I loved watching them play these parts. Uncle Vanya. Act one, a country house on a terrace. In front of it, a garden. In an avenue of trees under an old poplar stands a table set for tea with a samovar, etc. Some benches and chairs stand near the table. On one of them is lying a guitar. A hammock is swung near the table. It is three o'clock in the afternoon on a cloudy day. Marina, a quiet, gray-haired little old woman, is sitting at the table, knitting a stocking. Astroff is walking up and down near her. Oh, take a little tea, my son. Mm. Somehow I don't seem to want any. And will you have a little vodka instead? No, I don't drink vodka every day. And besides, it's too hot now. Tell me, nurse, how long have we known each other? Let me see. How long is it? Lord, help me to remember. You first came here into our parts. Let me think. When was it? Sonia's mother was still alive. It was two winters before she died. That was 11 years ago, perhaps more. Have I changed much since then? Oh, yes. You were handsome and young then. And now you are an old man and not handsome anymore. You drink too. Yes. 10 years have made me another man. And why? Because I'm overworked. Nurse, I am on my feet from dawn till dusk. I know no rest. At night, I tremble under my blankets for fear of being dragged out to visit someone who is sick. I've toiled without repose or a day's freedom since I have known you. Could I help growing old? And then, existence is tedious. Anyway, it is a senseless, dirty business, this life and goes heavily. 
Everyone about here is silly. And after living with them for two or three more years, one grows silly oneself. It is inevitable. <laughs> See what a long mustache I've grown. A foolish long mustache. Yes, I am as silly as the rest, nurse, but not as stupid. No, I have not grown stupid. Thank God my brain is not addled yet, though my feelings have grown numb. I ask nothing, I need nothing, I love no one, unless it is yourself alone. I had a nurse like you when I was a child. Don't you want a bite of something to eat? No. During the third week of Lent, I went to the epidemic at Malitskoye. It was eruptive typhoid. The peasants were all lying side by side in their huts and the calves and pigs were running about the floor among the sick. Such dirt there was, and smoke, unspeakable. I slaved among those people all day, not a crumb passed my lips, but when I got home, there was still no rest for me. A switchman was carried in from the railroad. I laid him on the op operating table, and he went and died in my arms under chloroform. And then my feelings that should have been deadened awoke again. My conscience tortured me as if I had killed the man. I sat down and closed my eyes like this and thought, will our descendants 200 years from now, for whom we are breaking the road, remember to give us a kind word? No, nurse, they will forget. Man is forgetful, but God remembers. Mm. Thank you for that. You have spoken the truth. Enter Voitsky from the house. He has been asleep after dinner and looks rather disheveled. He sits down on the bench and straightens his collar. Hmm. Yes. Have you been asleep? Yes, very much so. Ever since the professor and his wife have come, our daily life seems to have jumped the track. I sleep at the wrong time drink wine, and eat all sorts of messes for luncheon and dinner. It isn't wholesome. Sonia and I used to work together and never had an idle moment, but now Sonia works alone, and I only eat and drink and sleep. Something is wrong. Such a confusion in the house. The professor gets up at 12. The samovar is kept boiling all the morning, and everything has to wait for him. Before they came, we used to have dinner at one o'clock, like everybody else, but now we have it at seven. The professor sits up all night writing and reading, and suddenly at two o'clock, there goes the bell. Heavens, what is that? The professor wants some tea. Wake the servants, light the samovar. Lord, what disorder. Will they be here long? A hundred years. The professor has decided to make his home here. Look at this now. The samovar has been on the table for two hours and they're all out walking. All right, don't get excited. Here they come. Voices are heard approaching. Sarah Brakoff, Helena, Sonia, and Telegin come in from the depths of the garden, returning from their walk. Superb! Superb! What beautiful views! They are wonderful, Your Excellency. Tomorrow we shall go into the woods, shall we, Papa? Ladies and gentlemen, tea is ready. 
Won't you please be good enough to send my tea into the library? I still have some work to finish. I am sure you will love the woods. Elena, Serebrakov, and Sonia go into the house. Telegin sits at the table beside Marina. There goes our learned scholar on a hot, sultry day like this in his overcoat and galoshes and carrying an umbrella. He's trying to take good care of his health. How lovely she is. How lovely. I've never in my life seen a more beautiful woman. Do you know, Marina, that as I walk in the fields or in the shady garden, as I look at this table here, my heart swells with unbounded happiness. The weather is enchanting, birds are singing, we are all living in peace and contentment. So what more could the soul desire? Such eyes. A glorious woman. Come, Ivan, tell us something. What shall I tell you? Haven't you any news for us? No, it is all stale. I am just the same as usual, or perhaps worse, because I've become lazy. I don't do anything now but croak like an old raven. My mother, the old magpie, is still chattering about the emancipation of woman with one eye on her grave and the other on her learned books, in which she is always looking for the dawn of a new life. And the professor? The professor sits in his library from morning till night, as usual, straining the mind, wrinkling the brow. We write, write, write without respite or hope of praise in the future or now. Poor paper. He ought to write his autobiography. He would really make a splendid subject for a book. Imagine it, the life of a retired professor, as stale as a piece of hardtack, Tortured by gout, headaches, and rheumatism, his liver bursting with jealousy and envy. Living on the estate of his first wife, although he hates it, because he can't afford to live in town. He is everlastingly whining about his hard lot, though as a matter of fact, he is extraordinarily lucky. He's the son of a common deacon and has attained the professor's chair become the son-in-law of a senator, is called Your Excellency, and so on. But I'll tell you something. The man has been writing on art for 25 years, and he doesn't know the first thing about it. For 25 years, he has been chewing on other men's thoughts about realism, naturalism, and all such foolishness. For 25 years, he has been reading and writing things that clever men have known, long known, and stupid ones are not interested in. For 25 years, he has been making his imaginary mountains out of molehills. And just think of the man's self-conceit and presumption all this time. For 25 years, he has been masquerading in false clothes and has now retired absolutely unknown to any living soul. And yet, see him stalking across the earth like a demigod. I believe you envy him. Yes, I do. Look at the success he's had with women. Don Juan himself was not more favored. His first wife, who was my sister, was a beautiful, gentle being, as pure as the blue heaven there above us, noble, 
great-hearted with more admirers than he has pupils, and she loved him only beings of angelic purity can love those who are as pure and beautiful themselves. His mother-in-law, my mother, adores him to this day, and he still inspires a sort of worshipful awe in her. His second wife, as you see, a brilliant beauty, she married him in his old age and has suffered all the glory of her beauty and freedom to him. Why? What for? Is she faithful to him? Yes. Unfortunately, she is. Why, unfortunately? Because such fidelity is false and unnatural, root and branch. It sounds well, but there is no logic in it. It is thought immoral for a woman to deceive an old husband whom she hates, but quite moral for her to strangle her poor youth in her breast and banish every vital desire from her heart. Oh, Vanya, I don't like to hear you talk so. Listen, Vanya. Everyone who betrays husband or wife is faithless and could also betray his country. Hmm. Turn off the tap, Waffles. No, allow me, Vanya. My wife ran away with a lover on the day after our wedding because my exterior was unprepossessing. I have never failed in my duty since then. I love her and am true to her to this day. I help her all I can and have given my fortune to educate the daughter of herself and her lover. I have fortified, I have forfeited my happiness, but I have kept my pride. And she, her youth has fled. Her beauty has faded according to the laws of nature, and her lover is dead. What has she kept? Helena and Sonia come in. After them comes Madame Voitskaya carrying a book. She sits down and begins to read. Someone hands her a glass of tea, which she drinks without looking up. There are some peasants waiting outside. Go see what they want. I shall pour the tea. Pours out some glasses of tea. Marina goes out. Helena takes a glass and sits drinking in the hammock. I've come to see your husband. You wrote me that he had rheumatism, and I know not what else, and that he was very ill, but he appears to be as lively as a cricket. He had a fit of the blues yesterday evening and complained of pains in his leg, but he seems all right again today. And I galloped over 20 miles here at breakneck speed. No matter, though. It's not the first time. Once here, however, I'm going to stay until tomorrow and at any rate sleep quantum satis. Oh, splendid. You so seldom spend the night with us. Have you had dinner yet? No. Good. So you will have it with us. We dine at seven now. This tea is cold. Yes, the samovar has grown cold. Mm. Don't mind, Monsieur Ivan. We will... Drink cold tea, then. I beg your pardon. My name is not Ivan, but Elia, ma'am. Elia Telegin. Or 
waffles, <laughs> as I am sometimes called on account of my pockmarked face. I am Sonia's godfather, and His Excellency, your husband, knows me very well. I now live with you, ma'am, on this estate, and perhaps you will be so good as to notice that I dine with you every day. <laughs> he is our great help, our right-hand man. <laughs> Dear godfather, let me pour you some tea. Oh, oh, what is it, Grandmother? I forgot to tell Alexander. I have lost my memory. I received a letter today from Paul Aksevich in Kharkov. He has sent me a new pamphlet. Is it interesting? Yes, but strange. He refutes the very theories which he defended seven years ago. It is appalling. There's nothing appalling about it. Drink your tea, Mother. It seems you never want to listen to what I have to say. Pardon me, Jean. But you have changed so in the last year that I hardly know you. You used to be a man of settled convictions and had an illuminating personality. Oh, yes, I had an illuminating personality, which illuminated no one. I had an illuminating personality. You couldn't say anything more biting. I am 47 years old. Until last year, I endeavored, as you do now, to blind my eyes by your pedantry to the truths of life. But now, Oh, if you only knew, if you only knew how I lie awake at night, heart sick and angry, to think how stupidly I've wasted my time, where I might have been winning from life everything which my old age now forbids. Uncle Vania, how dreary. You speak as if your former convictions were somehow to blame, but you yourself, not they, were at fault. You have forgotten that a conviction in itself is nothing but a dead letter. You should have done something. Done something. Not every man is capable of being a writer perpetuum mobile like your hair professor. What do you mean by that? Mother, Uncle Vanya, I entreat you. I am silent, I apologize, and I am silent. Oh, what a fine day. Not too hot. A fine day to hang oneself. Megan tunes the guitar. Marina appears near the house, calling the chickens. What did the peasants want, nurse? Uh, The same old thing, the same old nonsense. Why are you calling the chickens? The speckled hen has disappeared with her chicks. I am afraid the crows have got her. Tilegan plays a polka. I'll listen in silence. Enter Whitman. Is the doctor here? Excuse me, sir, but I have been sent to fetch you. Where are you from? Factory. Oh, thank you. There is nothing for it then but to go. Damn it, this is annoying. Yes, it is too bad, really. You must come back to dinner from the factory. No, I won't be able to do that. It will be too late. Now, where? Where? Look here, my man. Get me a glass of vodka, will you? Where? Where? Uh, One of the characters in Ostrov's play is a man with a long mustache and short wits like me. (laughs) 
However, let me bid you goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. I should be really delighted if you would come to see me someday with Miss Sonia. My estate is small, but if you are interested in such things, I should like to show you a nursery and a seed bed whose like you will not find within a thousand miles of here. My place is surrounded by government forests. The forester is old and always ailing, so I superintend almost all the work myself. I've always heard that you are very fond of the woods. One, of course, can do a great deal of good by helping to preserve them, but does not that work interfere with your real calling? God alone knows what a man's real calling is. And do you find it interesting? Yes, very. Oh, extremely. <laughs> well, you are still young, not over 36 or seven, I should say, and I suspect that the woods does not interest you as much as they say that it is. I should think that you would find them monotonous. No, though the work is thrilling. Dr. Astroff watches over the old woods and sets out new plantations every year, and he has already received a diploma and a bronze medal. If you will listen to what he can tell you, you will agree with him entirely. He says that forests are the ornaments of the earth, that they teach mankind to understand beauty and attune his mind to lofty sentiments. Forests temper a stern climate, and in countries where the climate is milder, less strength is wasted in the battle with nature, and the people are kind and gentle. The inhabitants of such countries are handsome, tractable, sensitive, graceful in speech and gesture. Their philosophy is joyous, art and science bloom among them. Their treatment of women is full of exquisite nobility. Bravo! Bravo! <laughs> All of that is very pretty, but it is also unconvincing. So, my friend, you must let me go on burning firewood in my stove than burning and building my sheds of planks. You can burn peat in your stoves and build your sheds of stone. Oh, I don't object, of course, to cutting wood from necessity, but why destroy the forests? The woods of Russia are trembling under the blows of the axe. Millions of trees have perished. The homes of the wild animals and birds have been desolated. The rivers are shrinking. And many beautiful landscapes are gone forever. And why? Because men are too lazy and stupid to stoop down and pick up their fuel from the ground. Am I not right, madam? Who but a stupid barbarian could burn so much beauty in his stove and destroy that which he cannot make? Man is endowed with reason and the power to create so that he may increase that which has been given him. But until now, he has not created, but demolished. The forests are disappearing. The rivers are running dry. The game is exterminated. The climate is spoiled and the earth becomes poorer and uglier every day. I read your irony in your eye. You do not take what I'm saying seriously. And, and... After all, it may very well be nonsense. But when I pass peasant forests that I have preserved from the axe or hear the rustling of the young plantations set out with my own hands, I feel as if I had some small share in improving the climate. And that if mankind is happy a thousand years from now, I will have been a little bit responsible for their happiness. When I plant a little birch tree, then see it budding into young green and swaying in the wind, my heart swells with pride, and I 
sees the workman who is bringing him a glass of vodka on a tray. However, I must be off. Probably it is all nonsense anyway. Goodbye. He goes towards the house. Sonia takes his arm and goes with him. When are you coming to see us again? I can't say. In a month. Astroff and Sonia go into the house. Helena and Voitsky walk over to the terrace. You have behaved shockingly again. Ivan, what sense there in teasing your mother and talking about perpetuum mobile? And at breakfast, you quarreled with Alexander again. Really, your behavior is too petty. But if I hate him? You hate Alexander without reason. He is like everyone else, and no worse than you are. If you could only see your face, your gestures, oh, how tedious your life must be. It is tedious, yes, and dreary. You all abuse my husband and look on me with compassion. You think, poor woman, she is married to an old man. How well I understand your compassion. As Astroff just now said, see how you thoughtlessly destroy the forest so that there will soon be none left. So you also destroy mankind and soon fidelity and purity and self-sacrifice, you will have vanished with the woods. Why cannot you look calmly at a woman unless she is yours? Because the doctor was right. You are all possessed by a devil of destruction. You have no mercy on the woods or the birds or on women or on another. I don't like your philosophy. The doctor has a sensitive, weary face. An interesting face. Sonia evidently likes him and she is in love with him. And I can understand it. This is the third time he has been here since I have come and I have not had a real talk with him yet or made much of him. He thinks I am disagreeable. Do you know, Ivan, the reason you and I are such friends? I think it is because we are both lonely and unfortunate. Don't look at me that way. I don't like it. How can I look at you otherwise when I love you? You are my joy, my life, and my youth. I know that my chances of being loved in return are infinitely small, do not exist, but I ask nothing of you. Only let me look at you, listen to your voice. Hush, someone will overhear you. They go towards the house. Let me speak to you of my love. Do not drive me away. And this alone will be my greatest happiness. This is agony. The legend st- strikes the strings of his guitar and plays a polka. And Empritskaya writes something on the leaves of her pamphlet. The curtain falls. Act two, the dining room of Serebrakov's house. It is night. The tapping of the watchman's rattle is heard in the garden. Serebrakov is dozing in an armchair by an open window, and Helena is sitting beside him, also half asleep. Who's here? Is it you, Sonia? It is I. Oh, it is you, Nellie. This pain is intolerable. Your shawl has slipped down. He wraps up his legs in the shawl. 
Let me shut the window. No, leave it open. I am suffocating. I dreamt just now that my left leg belonged to someone else and it hurt so that I woke. I don't believe this is gout. It is more like rheumatism. What time is it? Half past 12. I want you to look for Batushka's works in the library tomorrow. I think we have him. What is that? Look for Batushka tomorrow morning. We used to have him, I remember. Why do I find it so hard to breathe? You are tired. This is the second night you have had no sleep. They say that Turgenev got angina of the heart from gout. I'm afraid I'm getting angina too. Oh, damn, this horrible, accursed old age. Ever since I have been old, I have been hateful to myself, and I am sure hateful to you all as well. You speak as if you were to blame for your being old. I am more hateful to you than to anyone. Elena gets up and walks away from him, sitting down at a distance. You are quite right, of course. I'm not an idiot. I can understand you. You are young and healthy and beautiful and longing for life, and I am an old dotard, almost a dead man already. Don't I know it? Of course, I see that it is foolish for me to live so long, but wait. I shall soon set you all free. My life cannot drag on much longer. You are overtaxing my powers of endurance. Be quiet, for God's sake. It appears that, thanks to me, everybody's power of endurance is being overtaxed. Everybody is miserable. Only I am blissfully triumphant. Oh, yes, of course. Be quiet. You are torturing me. I torture everybody, of course. This is unbearable. Tell me, what is it you want me to do? Nothing. Then be quiet, please. It is funny that everybody listens to Ivan and his old idiot of a mother. But the moment I open my lips, you all begin to feel ill-treated. I can't even stand the sound of my, you can't even stand the sound of my voice. Even if I am hateful, even if I am a selfish tyrant, haven't I the right to be one at my age? Haven't I deserved it? Haven't I, I ask you, the right to be respected? Now that I am old? No one is disputing your rights. The window slams in the wind. The wind is rising. I must sh- shut the window. She shuts it. We shall have rain in a moment. Your rights have never been questioned by anybody. The watchman in the garden sounds his rattle. I have spent my life working in the interests of learning. I am used to my library and the lecture hall and to the esteem and admiration of my colleagues. Now, I suddenly find myself plunged in this wilderness, condemned to see the same stupid people from morning till night and listen to their futile conversation. I want to live. I long for success and fame and the stir of the world, and here I am in exile. It is dreadful to spend every moment grieving for the lost past, to see the success of others and sit here with nothing to do but fear death. I cannot stand it. It is more than I can bear, and you will not even forgive me for being old. 
wait, have patience. I shall be old myself in four or five years. Sonia comes in. Father, you sent for Dr. Astroff, and now when he comes, you refuse to see him. It is not nice to give a man so much trouble for nothing. What do I care about your Astroff? He understands medicine about as well as I understand astronomy. We can't send for the whole medical faculty, can we, to treat your gout? I won't talk to that madman. Do as you please. It's all the same to me. What time is it? One o'clock. It is stifling in here. Sonia, hand me that bottle on the table. Here it is. He hands him a bottle of medicine. No, not that one. Can't you understand me? Can't I ask you to do a thing? Please don't be captious with me. Some people may like it, but if you must, but you must spare me if you please, because I don't. Besides, I haven't the time. We are cutting the hay tomorrow and I must get up early. Voitsky comes in dressed in a long gown and carrying a candle. A thunderstorm is coming up. Lightning flashes. There it is. Go to bed, Helena and Sonia. I have have come to take your place. No, no, no. Don't leave me alone with him. Oh, don't. He will begin to lecture me. But you must give them a little rest. They have not slept for two nights. Then let them go to bed, but you go away too. Thank you. I implore you to go. For the sake of our former friendship, do not protest against going. We will talk some other time. Our former friendship? Our former... Hush, hush, Uncle Vanya. My darling, don't leave me alone with him. He will begin to lecture me. This is ridiculous. Marina comes in carrying a candle. You must go to bed, nurse. It is late. Uh, I haven't cleared away the tea things. I can't go to bed yet. No one can go to bed. They are all worn out. Only I enjoy perfect happiness. What's the matter, master? Does it hurt... My own legs are aching too, oh, so badly. Arranges his shawl about his legs. You have had this illness such a long time. Sonia's dead mother used to stay awake with you too and wear herself out for you. She loved you dearly. Old people want to be pitied as much as young ones, but nobody cares about them somehow. She kisses Sarah Brockoff's shoulders. Come, master, let me give you some linden tea and warm your poor feet for you. I shall pray to God for you. Let us go, Marina. My own feet are aching so badly. Oh, so badly. She and Sonia lead Sarah Brakoff out. Sonia's mother used to wear herself out with sorrow and weeping. You were still little and foolish then, Sonia. Come, come, master. Sarah Brockhoff, Sonia, and Marina go out. I am absolutely exhausted by him and can hardly stand. You are exhausted by him, and I am exhausted by my own self. I have not slept for three nights. Something is wrong in this house. Your mother hates me. Hates everything but her pamphlets and the professor. 
The professor is vexed. He won't trust me and fears you. Sonia is angry with her father and with me and hasn't spoken to me for two weeks. I'm at the end of my strength and have come near bursting into tears at least 20 times a day. Something is wrong with this house. Leave speculating alone. You are cultured and intelligent, Ivan, and you surely understand that the world is not destroyed by villains and conflagrations, but by hate and malice and all this spiteful tattling. It is your duty to make peace and not to growl at everything. Help me to make peace with myself, my darling. Let's go. Go away. Soon the rain will be over. All nature will sigh and awake refreshed. Only I am not refreshed by the storm. Day and night the thought haunts me like a fiend that my life is lost forever. My past does not count because I frittered it away on trifles and the present has so terribly miscarried. What shall I do with my life and my love? What is to become of them? This wonderful feeling of mine will be wasted and lost as a ray of sunlight is lost that falls into a dark chasm and my life will go with it. I am, as it were, benumbed when you speak to me of your love and I don't know how to answer you. Forgive me, I have nothing to say to you. Good night. Only you knew how I am tortured by the thought that beside me in this house is another life that is being lost forever. It is yours. What are you waiting for? What accursed philosophy stands in your way? Understand. Understand. Ivan, you are drunk. Perhaps. Perhaps. Where's the doctor? In there. Spending the night with me. Perhaps I am drunk. Perhaps I am. Nothing is impossible. Have you just been drinking together? Why do you do that? Because in that way, I get a taste of life. Let me do it, Helena. You never used to drink. And you never used to talk so much. Go to bed. I am tired of you. My sweetheart. My beautiful one. Leave me alone. Really, this has become too disagreeable. Helena goes out. A pause. She is gone. I met her first 10 years ago at her sister's house when she was 17 and I was 37. Why did I not fall in love with her then and propose to her? It would have been so easy. And now she would have been my wife. Yes, we would both have been waked tonight by the thunderstorm and she would have been frightened, but I would have held her in my arms and whispered, don't be afraid, I'm here. Oh, enchanting dream, so sweet that I laugh to think of it. 
but my God, my head reels. Why am I so old? (laughs) Why won't she understand me? I hate all that rhetoric of hers, that morality of indolence, that absurd talk about the destruction of the world. Oh, how I have been deceived. For years, I have worshipped that gout-ridden professor. Sonia and I have squeezed this estate dry for his sake. We have bartered our butter and curds and peas like misers and have never kept a morsel for ourselves so that we could scrape enough pennies together to send to him. I was proud of him and his learning. I received all his words and writings as inspired. And now, now he has retired. And what is the total of his life? A blank. He is absolutely unknown. And his fame has burst like a soap bubble. I have been deceived. I see that now. Basely deceived. Astroff comes in. He has his coat on, but is without his waistcoat or collar, and is slightly drunk. Telegin follows him, carrying a guitar. Play. But everyone is asleep. Play! Telegin begins to play softly. Are you alone here? No women about? The hut is cold, the fire is dead. Where shall the master lay his head? The thunderstorm woke me. It was a heavy shower. What time is it? The devil only knows. I thought I heard Helena's voice. She was here a moment ago. What a beautiful woman. Hmm. Medicine, is it? What a variety we have. Prescriptions from Moscow, from Kharkov, from Tula... Why, he has been pestering all the towns of Russia with his gout. Is he ill or simply shamming? He is really ill. What's the matter with you tonight? You seem sad. Is it because you are sorry for the professor? Leave me alone. Or in love with the professor's wife? She's my friend. Already? What do you mean by already? A woman can only become a man's friend after having first been his acquaintance and then his beloved. Then she becomes his friend. What vulgar philosophy? What do you mean? Yes, I must confess, I am getting vulgar. But then, you see, I am drunk. I usually only drink like this once a month. At such times, my audacity and temerity know no bounds. I feel capable of anything. I attempt the most difficult operations and do them magnificently. The most brilliant plans for the future take shape in my head. I'm no longer a poor fool of a doctor, but mankind's greatest benefactor. I evolve my own system of philosophy, and all of you seem to crawl at my feet like so many insects or microbes. Play, Waffles! My dear boy, I would with all my heart, but do listen to reason. Everybody in the house is asleep. Play. Play and play softly. I want a drink. Come, uh, we still have some brandy left. 
And then as soon as it is day, you will come home with me. He sees Sonia who comes in at that moment. I beg your pardon, I have no collar on. He goes out quickly, followed by Telega. <laughs> Uncle Vanya, you and the doctor have been drinking. The good fellows have been getting together. It is all very well for him. He has always done it. But why do you follow his example? It looks dreadfully at your age. Age has nothing to do with it. When real life is wanting, one must create an illusion. It's better than nothing. Our hay is all cut and rotting in these daily rains. And here you are, busy creating illusions. You have given up the farm altogether. I have done all the work alone until I am at the end of my strength. Uncle, your eyes are full of tears. Tears? Nonsense. There are no tears in my eyes. You looked at me just then as your dead mother used to. My darling. My sister, my dearest sister, where are you now? Ah, if only you knew. If only you knew. If she only knew what, uncle? My heart is bursting. It is awful. No matter, though, I must go. He goes out. Dr. Estroff, are you awake? Please come here for a minute. In a moment. He appears in a few seconds. He has put on his collar and waistcoat. What do you want? Drink as much as you please yourself, if you don't find it revolting. But I implore you not to let my uncle do it. It is bad for him. Very well. We won't drink any more. I'm going home at once. That is settled. It will be dawn by the time the horses are harnessed. It is still raining. Wait till morning. The storm is blowing over. This is the only, this is only the edge of it. I must go. And please don't make me to come see your father anymore. I tell him he has gout. He, he says he has rheumatism. I tell him to lie down and he sits up. Today he refused to see me at all. He has been spoiled. Won't you have a bite to eat? Yes, please. I believe I will. I love to eat at night. I'm sure we'll find something in here. They say that he has made a great many conquests in his life and that the women have spoiled him. Uh, here is some cheese for you. You stand eating by the sideboard. I haven't eaten anything today. Your father has a very difficult nature. He takes a bottle out of the sideboard. May I? Pour himself a glass of vodka. We are not alone. We are alone here, and I can speak frankly. Do you know, I could not stand living in this house for even a month. This atmosphere would stifle me. There's your father, entirely absorbed in his books and his gout. There's your Uncle Vanya with the hypochondria. Your grandmother, and finally your stepmother. What about her? A human being should be entirely beautiful. The face, the clothes, the mind, the thoughts. Your stepmother is, of course, beautiful to look at. But don't you see? She does nothing but sleep and eat and walk and bewitch us. And that is all. She has no responsibilities. Everything is done for her. Am I not right? 
And an idle life can never be a pure one. However, I may be judging her too severely. Like your Uncle Vanya, I am discontented. And so we are both grumblers. Aren't you satisfied with life? I like life as life, but I hate and despise it in a little Russian country village. And as far as my own personal life goes, by heaven, there is absolutely no redeeming feature about it. Haven't you noticed if you're riding through a dark wood at night and see a little light shining ahead, how you forget your fatigue and the darkness and the sharp twigs that whip your face? I work, that you know. As no one else in the country works, fate beats me on without rest. At times I suffer unendurably, and I see light ahead. I have no hope. I do not like people. It is long since I have loved anyone. You love no one? Mm, Not a soul. I only feel a sort of tenderness for your old nurse for old time's sake. The peasants are all alike. They're stupid and live in dirt. And the educated people are hard to get along with. One gets tired of them. All our good friends are petty and shallow and see no farther from their own noses. In one word, they are dull. Those that have brains are hysterical, devoured with a mania for self-analysis. They whine, they hate, they pick faults everywhere with unhealthy sharpness. They sneak up to me sideways and look at me out of the corner of the eye and say, that man is a lunatic. That man is a windbag. Or if they don't know what else to label me with, they say, I am strange. I like the woods, that is strange. I don't eat meat, that is strange too. Simple, natural relations between man and man or man and nature do not exist. He tries to go out. Sonia prevents him. I beg you, I implore you not to drink anymore. Why not? It is so unworthy of you. You are well-bred. Your voice is sweet. You are even more than anyone I know handsome. Why do you want to resemble the common people that drink and play cards? Don't, I beg you. You always say that people do not create anything, but only destroy what heaven has given them. Why, oh, why do you destroy yourself? Don't, I implore you not to, I entreat you. I won't drink anymore. Promise me. I give you my word of honor. Thank you. I've done with it. You see, I'm perfectly sober again. And so I shall stay till the end of my life. (laughs) Ah, but I... Ah, as I was saying, life holds nothing for me. My race is run. (laughs) I'm old. I'm tired. I'm trivial. My sensibilities are dead. I could never attach myself to anyone again. I love no one and never shall. Beauty alone has the power to touch me still. I am deeply moved by it. 
Elena could turn my head in a day if she wanted to, but that is not love. That is not affection. What is it? Nothing. During Lent, one of my patients died under chloroform. It is time to forget that. Tell me, doctor, if I had a friend or a younger sister, and if you knew that she, well, loved you, what would you do? I don't know. I don't think I should do anything. I should make her understand that I could not return her love. However, my mind is not bothered about these things now. I must start off at once if I'm ever to get off. Goodbye, my dear girl. At this rate, we shall stand here talking till morning. He shakes hands with her. I shall go out through the sitting room because I am afraid your uncle might detain me. He goes out. Not a word. His heart and soul are still locked from me, and yet, for some reason, I am strangely happy. I wonder why. <laughs> oh, I told him that he was well-bred and handsome and that his voice was sweet. Was that a mistake? I can still feel his voice vibrating in the air. It caresses me. Oh, how terrible it is to be plain. I am plain. I know it. As I came out of church last Sunday, I heard a woman say, she is a dear, noble girl, but what a pity she is so ugly. So ugly. Elena comes in and throws open the window. The storm is over. What delicious air. Where's the doctor? He is gone. Sonia. Yes. How much longer are you going to sulk at me? We have not hurt each other. Why not be friends? We have had enough of this. I myself. Embraces Delano. Oh, let us make peace. With all my heart. Has Papa gone to bed? No. He is sitting up in the drawing room. Heaven knows what reason you and I had for not speaking to each other for weeks. Who left the side who left the sideboard open? Um, Dr. Estroff just had supper. Mm. Well, there is some wine. So let us Seal our friendship. Yes, let us. Out of one glass? She fills a wine glass. <laughs> so we are friends, are we? Yes. They drink and kiss each other. <sighs> I have long wanted to make friends, but somehow I was ashamed to. <sighs> Why are you crying? don't know it is nothing there there don't cry so now i'm crying too you are angry with me 
because I seem to have married your father for his money, but don't believe the gossip you hear, I swear to you. I married for love. I was fascinated by his fame and learning. I know now that it was not real love, but it seemed real at the time. I am innocent and yet your clever suspicious eyes have been punishing me for an imaginary crime ever since my marriage. Peace, peace, let us forget the past. You must not look so at people. It is not becoming to you. You must trust people or life becomes impossible. Tell me truly, as a friend, are you happy? Truly? No. I knew it. One more question. Do you wish your husband were young? What a child you are. Of course I do. Go on, ask something else. Do you like the doctor? Yes, very much indeed. <laughs> I have a stupid face, haven't I? <laughs> he has just gone out and his voice is still in my ears. I hear his step. I see his face in the dark window. Let me say all I have in my heart. But no, I cannot speak of it so loudly. I am ashamed. Come to my room and let me tell you there. I seem foolish to you, don't I? Talk to me of him. What can I say? He is clever. He can do everything. He can cure the sick and plant woods. It is not a question of medicine and woods, my dear. He is a man of genius. Do you know what that means? It means he is brave, profound, and of clear insight. He plants a tree and his mind travels a thousand years into the future and he sees visions of the happiness of the human race. People like him are rare and should be loved. What if he does drink and act roughly at times? A man of genius cannot be a saint in Russia. There he lives, cut off from the world by cold and storm and endless roads of bottomless mud surrounded by rough people who are crushed by poverty and disease. His life one continuous struggle with never a day's respite. How can a man live like that for 40 years and keep himself sober and unspotted? Kissing Sonia. I wish you happiness with all my heart. You deserve it. She gets up. As for me, I am a worthless, futile woman. I've always been futile in music, in love, in my husband's house, in a word, in everything. When you come to think of it, Sonia, I am really very unhappy. Walks very unhappy. Happiness can never exist for me in this world. Why do you laugh? 
No, I am so happy. So happy. <laughs> I want to hear music. I might play a little. Oh, do, do. She embraces her. I could not possibly go to sleep now. Do play. Yes, I will. Your father is still awake. Music irritates him when he is ill, but if he says I may, then I shall play a little. Go Sonia and ask him. Very well. She goes out. The watchman's rattle is heard in the garden. It is long since I have heard music. And now I shall sit and play and weep like a fool. Is that you rattling out there, Ephim? It is I. Don't make such a noise. Your master is ill. I'm going away this minute. Sonia comes back. He says no. The curtain falls. Act three, the drawing room of Sherib Rakoff's house. There are three doors, one to the right, one to the left, and one in the center of the room. Boitsky and Sonia are sitting down. Helena is walking up and down, absorbed in thought. Probably a matter of business. But we were asked by the professor to be here at one o'clock. It is now a quarter to one. It seems he has some communication to make to the world. Probably a matter of business. He never had any business. He writes twaddle, grumbles, and eats his heart out with jealousy. That's all he does. Uncle. All right. I beg your pardon. Look at her. Wandering up and down from sheer idleness. A sweet picture, really. I wander. You are not bored. Droning on in the same key from morning till night. I am dying of this tedium. What shall I do? There is plenty to do, if you would. For instance? You could help run this place. Teach the children. Care for the sick. Isn't that enough? Before you and Papa came, Uncle Vanya and I used to go to the market ourselves to deal in flour. I don't know anything about such things. And besides, they don't interest me. It is only in novels that women go out and teach and heal the peasants. How can I suddenly begin to do it? How can you live here and not do it? Wait a while. You will get used to it all. Embraces her. Oh, don't be sad, dearest. You feel miserable and restless and can't seem to fit into this life and your restlessness is catching. Look at Uncle Vanya. He does nothing now but haunt you like a shadow. And I have left my work today to come here and talk with you. I am getting lazy and don't want to go on with it. Dr. Astroff hardly ever used to come here. It was all we could do to persuade him to visit us once a month. And now... He has abandoned his forestry and his practice and comes every day. You must be a witch. Why should you languish here? Come, my dearest, my beauty, be sensible. The blood 
of a Nike sea runs in your veins. Well, I won't let you, oh, won't you let yourself be one? Give your nature the reins for once in your life. Fall head over ears in love with some other water sprite and plunge down headfirst into a deep pool so that the Herr Professor and all of us may have our hands free again. Leave me alone. How cruel you are. There, there, my beauty. I, I apologize. Forgive me. Confess that you would try the patience of an angel. As a peace offering, I am going to fetch some flowers, which I picked for you this morning. Some autumn roses. Beautiful, sorrowful roses. He goes out. Autumn roses. Beautiful, sorrowful roses. She and Helena stand looking at the window. September already. How shall we live through the long winter here? Where is the doctor? He is writing in Uncle Vanya's room. I am glad that Uncle Vanya has gone out. I want to talk to you about something. About what? About what? <sighs> she lays her head on Helena's breast. Helena strokes her hair. There, there. That will do. Don't, Sonia. <sighs> I am ugly. You have lovely hair. Don't say that. She turns to look at herself in the glass. No. When a woman is ugly, they always say she has beautiful hair or eyes. I have loved him now for six years. I have loved him more than one loves one's mother. I seem to hear him beside me every moment of the day. I feel the pressure of his hand on mine. If I look up, I seem to see him coming. And as you see, I, I run to you to talk of him. He is here every day now, but he never looks at me. He does not notice my presence. It is agony. I have absolutely no hope. No, no hope. Oh my God, give me strength to endure. I prayed all last night. I often go up to him and speak to him and look into his eyes. My pride is gone. I am not mistress of myself. Yesterday, I told Uncle Vanya I couldn't control myself, and, and all the servants know it. Everyone knows that I love him. Does he? No. He never notices me. He is a strange man. Listen, Sonia, will you allow me to speak to him? I shall be careful, only hint. Really, to be in uncertainty all these years, let me do it. Well, it will be easier not to see him anymore. We won't put off the examination in an instant. He said he had a sketch to show me. Go and tell him that I want to see him. And will you tell me the whole truth? Of course I will. I am sure that no matter what it is, it will be easier for you to bear than this uncertainty. 
Trust to me, dearest. Yes, yes. I shall say that you want to see his sketch. She starts out but stops near the door and looks back. Uh, Oh, it is better not to know. And yet, there may be hope. What do you say? Nothing. She goes out. There's no greater sorrow than to know another's secret when you cannot help them. He is obviously not in love with her, but why shouldn't he marry her? She is not pretty, but she is so clever and pure and good. She would make a splendid wife for a country doctor of his years. I can understand how the poor child feels. She lives here in this desperate loneliness with no one around her except these colorless shadows that go mooning and talking nonsense and knowing nothing except that they eat, drink, and sleep. Among them appears from time to time this Dr. Astroff, so different, so handsome, so interesting, so charming. It is like seeing the moon rise on a dark night. Of to surrender oneself to his embrace. To lose oneself in his arms. I am a little in love with him myself. Yes, I am lonely without him. And when I think of him, I smile. That Uncle Vanya said, I have the blood of a Nixie in my veins. Give rein to your nature for once in your life. Perhaps it is right that I should. Oh, to be free as a bird, to fly away from all your sleepy faces and your talk and forget that you have existed at all. But I am a coward. I am afraid my conscience torments me. He comes here every day now. I can guess why and feel guilty already. I should like to fall on my knees at Sonia's feet and beg her forgiveness and weep. Astroff comes in carrying a portfolio. How do you do? Shakes hands with her. Do you want to see my sketch? Yes, you have promised to show me what you have been doing. Have you time now? Of course I have. He lays the portfolio on the table and takes out the sketch and fastens it to the table with thumbtacks. Where were you born? In St. Petersburg. And educated? At the conservatory there. You don't find this life very interesting, I dare say. Why not? It is true. I don't know the country very well, but I have read a great deal about it. I have my own desk there in Ivan's room. When I'm absolutely too exhausted to go on, I drop everything and rush over here to forget myself in this work for an hour or two. Ivan and Miss Sonia sit rattling at their counting boards. The cricket chirps, and I sit beside them and paint, feeling warm and peaceful. But I don't permit myself this luxury very often. Only once a month. Pointing to the picture. Now look here. 
that is a map of our country as it was 50 years ago. The green tints, both dark and light, represent forests. Half the map, as you see, is covered with it. Where the green is striped with red, the forests were inhabited by elk and wild goats. Here, on this lake, there lived great flocks of swans and geese and ducks. As the old men say, there was a power of birds of every kind. Now they vanished like a cloud. Beside the hamlets and villages, you see, I have dotted down here and there the various settlements, farms, hermits' caves, and watermills. This country carried a great many cattle and horses, as you can see by the quantities of blue paint. For instance, see how thickly it lies in this part. There were great herds of them here, an average of three horses to every house. Now, look lower down. That is the country as it was 25 years ago. Only a third of the map is green now with forests. There are no goats left and no elk. The blue paint is lighter and so on and so on. Now we come to the third part, our country as it appears today. We still see spots of green, but not much. The elk, the swans, the black cock have all disappeared. It is on the whole, the picture of a regular and slow decline, which it will evidently only take 10 or 15 more years to complete. You may perhaps object that this is the march of progress, that the old order must give place to the new, and that you might be right if roads had been run through where those ruined woods, or if factories and schools had taken their place. The people then would have been better educated and healthier and richer. But as it is, we have nothing of the sort. We have the same swamps and mosquitoes, the same disease and want, the typhoid, the diphtheria, the burning villages. We are confronted by the degradation of our country brought on by the fierce struggle for existence of the human race. It is the consequence of the ignorance and unconsciousness of starving, shivering, sick humanity that to serve its children instinctively snatches at everything that can warm it and still its hunger. So it destroys everything it can lay its hands on without a thought for the morrow. And almost everything is gone and nothing has been created to take its place. But I see by your face, I am not interesting you. I know so little about such things. Well, there's nothing to know. It simply isn't interesting. <laughs> That's all. Frankly, my thoughts were elsewhere. Forgive me. I want to submit to you a little examination but I am embarrassed and don't know how to begin. An examination? Yes, but quite an innocent one. Sit down. They sit down. It is about a certain young girl I know. Let us discuss it like honest people, like friends, and then forget what has passed between us, shall we? Very well. It is about my stepdaughter, Sonia. Do you like her? Yes, I respect her. Do you like her as a woman? No. One more word and that will be the last. 
You have not noticed anything. No, nothing. You do not love her. I see that in your eyes. Well, she is suffering. You must realize that and not come here anymore. My sun has set, yes. And then I have at the time. Where shall I find the time for such things? <laughs> what an unpleasant conversation. I am as out of breath as if I had been running three miles uphill. Thank heaven that is over. Now let us forget everything as if nothing has been said. You are sensible. You understand. I'm actually blushing. If you had spoken a month ago, I might perhaps have considered it, but now, of course, if she is suffering, but I cannot understand why you had to put me through this examination. He searches her face with his eyes and shakes his finger at her. Oh, 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 oh. you are wily. What does that mean? <laughs> you are a wily one. I admit that Sonia is suffering, but what does this examination of yours mean? Please, don't put on a, such a look of surprise. You know perfectly well why I come here every day. Yes, you know perfectly why and for what and for whose sake I come. Oh, my sweet tigress, don't look at me in that way. I am an old bird. A tigress, I don't understand you. A beautiful, sleek tigress, you must have your victims. For a whole month, I have done nothing but seek you eagerly. I've thrown over everything for you and you love to see it. Now then, I am sure you knew nothing or you knew all this without putting me through your examination. I surrender. Here you have me. Now eat me. Have you gone mad? Are you afraid? I am a better and stronger woman than you think me. Goodbye. He tries to leave the room. Why goodbye? Don't say goodbye. Don't waste words. Oh, how lovely you are. Enough Your of hands. this. Enough of this. Leave the room. You have forgotten yourself. Tell me. Tell me where we can meet tomorrow. He puts his arm around her. Don't you see that we must meet, that it is inevitable? He kisses her. Boitsky comes in carrying a bunch of roses and stops in the doorway. Pity. Leave me. Lays her head on Ostroff's shoulder. Don't. She tries to break away from him. Ostroff holds her by the waist. Be in the forest tomorrow at two o'clock. Will you? Helena sees Wojtski. Will you? Let me go. She goes this to the window, deeply embarrassed. This is appalling. Wojtski throws the flowers on a chair and speaks in great excitement, wiping his face with a handkerchief. Nothing. Yes. Yes. Nothing. Weather is fine today, my dear Ivan. The morning was overcast and looked like rain, but now the sun is shining again. Honestly, we have had a very, very fine autumn, and the wheat is looking fairly well. Put this map back into the portfolio. But 
The days are growing short. Helena goes quickly up to Boitsky. You must do your best. You must use all your power to get my husband and myself away from here today. Do you hear? I say that this very day. Oh, ah, uh, all right. Helena, I saw everything. Do you hear me? I must leave here this very day. Sarah Brakoff, Sonia, Marina, and Helegan come in. Are you well, Talegan? Not very well, no, not very well. Slow to speak, I'm sorry. Not very well myself, Your Excellency. I have been limping for two days and my head... Where are the others? Ah. I hate this house. It is a regular labyrinth. Everyone is always scattered through the 26 enormous rooms. One can never find a soul. Ask my wife and Madame Votskaya to come here. I am here already. Please, all of you, sit down. Sonia goes up to Helena and asks anxiously. What did he say? You are moved. Looking quickly and inquiring, inquiringly into her face. I understand. He said he would not come here anymore. Tell me, did he? Helena nods. One can, after all, become reconciled to being an invalid, but not to this country life. The ways of it stick in my throat, and I feel exactly as if I had been whirled off the earth and landed on a strange planet. Please be seated, ladies and gentlemen. Sonia! Sonia does not hear. She's standing with her head bowed sadly forward on her breast. Sonia! She does not hear me. Sit down too, nurse. Marina sits down and begins to knit her stocking. I crave your indulgence, ladies and gentlemen. Hang your ears, if I may say so, on the peg of attention. <laughs> Perhaps you do not need me. May I be excused? No, you are needed now more than anyone. What is it you want of me? You? But what are you angry about? If it is anything I have done, I ask you to forgive me. Oh, drop that and come to business. What do you want? Ah, here is mother. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall begin. I have asked you to assemble here, my friends, in order to discuss a very important matter. I want to ask you for your assistance and advice, and knowing your unfailing amiability, I think I can count on both. I am a bookworm and a scholar, and am unfamiliar with practical affairs. I cannot, I find, dispense with the help of well-informed people such as you, Ivan, and you, Telegan, and you, Mother. The truth is, Manit omnis una nox that is to say our lives are in the hands of god and as i am old and ill i realize the time has come for me to dispose of my property in regard to the interests of my family my life is nearly over and i am not thinking of myself but i have a young wife and daughter 
I cannot continue to live in the country. We were not made for country life, and yet we cannot afford to live in town on the income derived from this estate. We might sell the woods, but that would be an expedient we could not resort to every year. We must find some means of guaranteeing to ourselves a certain more or less, uh, less fixed yearly income. With this object in view, a plan has occurred to me, which I now have the honor of presenting to you for your consideration. I shall only give you a rough outline, avoiding all details. Our estate does not pay on average more than 2% on the money invested in it. I propose to sell it. If we then invest our capital in bonds, it will earn us four to 5%. And we should probably have a surplus over of several thousand rubles with which we could buy a summer cottage in Finland. Hold on. Repeat what you just said. I don't think I heard you quite right. I said we would invest the money in bonds and buy a cottage in Finland with the surplus. No, not Finland. You said something else. I propose to sell this place. Aha! That was it. So you're going to sell the place. Splendid. The idea is a rich one. And what do you propose to do with my old mother and me and with Sonia here? Oh, that will be decided in due time. We can't do everything at once. Wait, it is clear that until this moment, I have never had a grain of sense in my head. I have always been stupid enough to think that the estate belonged to Sonia. My father bought it as a wedding present for my sister, and I foolishly imagined that as our laws were made of Russians and not Turks, my sister's estate would come down to her child. Of course it is Sonia's. Has anyone denied it? I don't want to sell it without Sonia's consent. On the contrary, what I am doing is for Sonia's good. This is absolutely incomprehensible. Either I have gone mad or... or John, don't contradict Alexander. Trust him. He knows better than we do what was right and what is wrong. I shan't. Give me some water. Go ahead. Say anything you please. Anything. I can't imagine why you are so upset. I don't pretend my scheme is an ideal one, and if you all object to it, I shall not insist. I not only nourish feelings of respect toward learning, Your Excellency, but I am also drawn to it by family ties. My brother Gregory's wife's brother, whom you may know, he, his, his name is Konstantin Lakademonov, and he used to be a magistrate. Stop, it's Waffles. This is business. Wait a bit. We, we will talk of that later. There. Now, ask him what he thinks. This estate was bought from his uncle. Ah, why should I ask questions? What good would it do? The price was 95,000 rubles. My father paid 70 and had left a debt of 25. Now listen, this place could never have been bought had I not renounced my inheritance in favor of my sister, whom I deeply loved. And what is more, I worked for 10 years like an ox and paid off the debt. 
Oh, I regret ever having started this conversation. Thanks entirely to my own personal efforts, the place is entirely clear of debts. And now, when I have grown old, you want to throw me out, neck and crop. I can't imagine what you are driving at. For 25 years, I have managed this place and have sent you the returns from it like like the most honest of servants. And you have never given me one single word of thanks for my work. Not one. Neither in my youth nor now. You allowed me a meager salary of 500 rubles a year. A beggar's pittance. And have never even thought of adding a ruble to it. What did I know about such things, Ivan? I am not a practical man and don't understand them. You might have helped yourself to all you wanted. Yes, why did I not steal? Don't you all despise me for not stealing when it would have been only justice? And I should not now have been a beggar. John. Uh, don't, uh, Vanya, old man, don't talk in that way. Why spoil such pleasant relations? Do stop. For 25 years, I have been sitting here with my mother like a mole in a burrow. Our every thought and hope was yours and yours only. By day, We talked with pride of you and your work and spoke your name with veneration. Our nights, we wasted reading books and papers, which my soul now loathes. Don't, Vanya, don't. I I, I can't stand it. What under heaven do you want anyway? We used to think of you as almost superhuman, but now the scales have fallen from my eyes and I see you as you are. You write on art without knowing anything about it. Those books of yours, which I used to admire, are not worth one copper kopeck. You are a hoax. Can't anyone make him stop? I'm going. Ivan, I command you to stop this instant. Do you hear me? I refuse. Sarah Brockoff tries to get out of the room, but Voitsky bars the door. Wait, I have not done yet. You have wrecked my life. I have never lived. My best years have gone for nothing, have been ruined thanks to you. You are my most bitter enemy. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I am going. He goes out in great excitement. But what do you want? What earthly right have you to use such language to me? Ruination! If this estate is yours, then take it and let me be ruined. I am going away out of this hell this minute. This is too much. My life has been a failure. I am clever and brave and strong. If I have lived a normal life, I might have become another Schopenhauer or Dostoevsky. I'm losing my head. I'm going crazy. Mother, I am in despair. Oh, mother. Listen, Alexander. Sonia falls on her knees beside the nurse and nestles against her. Oh, nurse, nurse. Mother, what shall I do? But no, don't speak. I know what to do. And you will understand me. He goes out through the door in the center of the room and Madame Voice, Witskaya, follows him. 
tell me, what on earth is the matter? Take this lunatic out of my sight. I cannot possibly live under the same roof with him. His room is almost next door to mine. Let him take himself off into the village or into the wing of the house, or I shall leave here at once. I cannot stay in the same house with him. We are leaving today. We must get ready at once for our departure. What a perfectly dreadful man. You must be kind to us, Papa. Uncle Vanya and I are so unhappy. Have pity on us. Remember how Uncle Vanya and Granny used to copy and translate your books for you every night. Every, every night. Uncle Vanya has toiled without rest. He would never spend a penny on us. We sent it all to you. We have not eaten the bread of idleness. I am not saying this as I should like to, but you must understand us, Papa. You must be merciful to us. For heaven's sake, Alexander. Go and have a talk to him. Explain. Very well, I shall have a talk with him, but I won't apologize for a thing. I'm not angry with him, but you must confess that his behavior has been strange, to say the least. Excuse me, I shall go to him. He goes out through the center door. Be gentle with him. Try to quiet him. She follows him out. Sonia nestles nearer to Maria. Nurse, oh nurse. It's all right, my baby. When the geese have cackled, they will be still again. First they cackle and then they stop. Nurse. You are trembling all over as if you were freezing. There, there, little orphan baby. God is merciful. A little linden tea and it will all pass away. Oh, don't cry, my sweetest. See, the geese have all gone now. The devil take them. A shot is heard. Helena screams behind the scenes. Sonia shudders. What? What's that? Sherbrakov comes in reeling with terror. Hold him! Hold him! He has gone mad! Helena and Voiskir are seen struggling in the doorway. Helena tries to, to wrestle a resolver, revolver from him. Give it to me! Give it to me! I tell you! Let go of me, Helena! Let go of me! He frees himself and rushes in, looking everywhere for Sherbrakov. Where is he? Ah, there he is! He shoots at him. A pause. I didn't get him. I missed again. Damnation. Damnation. To hell with him. He flings the revolver on the floor and drops helpless into a chair. Zerbrakov stands as if stupefied. Helena leans against the wall, almost fainting. Take me away. Take me away. I can't stay here. I can't. Well, what shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, nurse, nurse. The curtain falls. Act four, Hoitsky's bedroom, which is also his office. A table stands near the window. On it are ledgers, letter scales, and papers of every description. Nearby stands a smaller table belonging to Astroff with his paints and drawing materials. On the wall hangs a cage containing a starling. There's also a map of Africa on the wall, obviously of no use to anybody. There's a large sofa covered with buckram. 
A door to the left leads into an inner room. One to the right leads into the front hall and before this door lies a mat of the, of the peasants with their, of, of, for the peasants with their muddy boots to stand on. It is an autumn evening. The silence is profound. Delegan and Marina are sitting facing one another, winding wool. Be quick, Marina, or we shall be called away to say goodbye before you have finished. The carriage has already been ordered. Oh, I am a little tired. They are going to Kharkov to live. They do well to go. They have been frightened. The professor's wife won't stay here in an hour longer. If we are going at all, let's be off, says he. We shall go to Kharkov and look about us, and then we can send for our things. They are traveling lights. It seems, Marina, that fate has decreed for them not to live here. And quite rightly, what a storm they have just raised. It was shameful. It was, indeed. The scene was worthy of the brush of Ibazovsky. <laughs> I wish I'd never laid eyes on them. Now... We shall have things as they were again. Tea at eight, dinner mm. at one, mm. and supper in the evening. Everything mm. in order as decent folks, as Christians like to have it. Mm. It is a long time since I have eaten noodles. Yes, we haven't had noodles for ages. Not for ages. As I was going through the village this morning, Marina, one of the shopkeepers called after me. Hi, you hanger-on. I felt it bitterly. Don't pay the least attention to them, Master. We are all dependents on God. You and Sonia and all of us, mm. everyone must work. No one can sit idle. Mm. Where is Sonia? In the garden with the doctor, looking for Ivan. They fear he may lay violent hands on himself. Where is his pistol? I hid it in the cellar. Wojtski and Astroff come in. Leave me alone. Go away. Go away and leave me to myself. If but for an hour, I won't have you watching me like this. Yeah, yes, yes, Vanya. Goes out on tiptoe. The gander cackles. Ah, ah, ah! <laughs> she gathers up her wool and goes out. Leave me by myself. I would, with the greatest pleasure. I ought to have gone long ago, but I shan't leave you until you have returned what you took from me. I took nothing from you. I'm not jesting. Don't detain me. I really must go. I took nothing of yours. You didn't? Very well. I shall have to wait a little longer, and then you will have to forgive me if I resort to force. We shall have to bind you and search you. I mean what I say. Do as you please. 
God, make such a fool of myself to shoot twice and miss him both times. I shall never forgive myself. When the impulse came to shoot, it would have been as well if you had put a bullet through your own head. Strange. I attempted murder. <laughs> and I'm not going to be arrested or brought to trial. That means they think I'm mad. Me. I am mad, and those who hide their worthlessness, their dullness, their crying heartlessness behind a professor's mask are sane. Those who marry old men and then deceive them under their noses of all are sane. I saw you kiss her. I saw you in each other's arms. Yes, sir, I did kiss her. So there. No, it is that the earth is mad because she still bears us on her breast. That's nonsense. Well, am I not a madman and therefore irresponsible? Haven't I the right to talk of nonsense? This is a farce. You are not mad. You are simply a ridiculous fool. I used to think every fool was out of his senses, but now I see that lack of sense is a man's normal state, and you are perfectly normal. Oh. If you only knew how ashamed I am. These piercing pangs of shame are like nothing on earth. I can't endure them. What can I do? What can I do? Nothing. You must tell me something. Oh my God, I am 47 years old. I may live to 60. I still have 13 years before me, an eternity. How shall I be able to endure life for 13 years? What shall I do? How can I fill them? Oh, don't you see? Don't you see if only I could live the rest of my life in some new way? If I could only wake some still, bright morning and feel that life had begun again. That the past was forgotten and had vanished like smoke. To begin life anew. Tell me. Tell me how to begin. What nonsense! What sort of a new life can you and I look forward to? We can have no hope. None. None. Of that, I am convinced. Tell me what to do. I feel such a burning pain here. Stop! It may be that posterity, which will despise us for our blind and stupid lives, will find some road to happiness. But we, you and I, have but one hope, the hope that we may be visited by visions, perhaps by pleasant ones, as we lie resting in our graves. Ah, oh, yes, brother. There were only two respectable, intelligent men in this country, you and I. 10 years or so of this life of ours, this miserable life, have sucked us under and we have become as contemptible and petty as the rest. But don't try to talk me out of my purpose. Give me what you took from me, will you? I took nothing from you. 
You took a little bottle of morphine out of my medicine case. Listen, if you were positively determined to make an end to yourself, go into the woods and shoot yourself there. Give up the morphine or there will be a lot of talk and guesswork. People will think I gave it to you. I don't fancy having to perform a post-mortem on you. Do you think I should find it interesting? Sonia comes in. Leave me alone. Sonia, your uncle has stolen a bottle of morphine out of my medicine case and won't give it up. Tell him that his behavior is, well, unwise. I haven't time. I must be going. Uncle Vanya, did you take the morphine? Yes, he took it. I'm absolutely sure. Give it up. Why do you want to frighten us? Give it up, Uncle Vanya. My misfortune is perhaps even greater than yours, but I am not plunged into despair. I endure my sorrow and shall endure it until my life comes to a natural end. You must endure yours too. Give it up. Dear, darling Uncle Vanya, give it up. You are so good. I am sure you will have pity on us and give it up. You must endure your sorrow, Uncle Vanya. You must endure it. Wojtski takes a bottle from the drawer on the table and hands it to Ostrov. There it is. And now we must get to work at once. We must do something, or Belsai, you shall not be able to endure it. Yes. Yes, to work. As soon as we have seen them off, we shall go to work. She nervously straightens out the paper from the table. Oh, everything is in a muddle. Astroff puts a bottle in his case, which he straps together. Now I can be off. Helena comes in. Are you here, Ivan? We are starting in a moment. Go to Alexander. He wants to speak to you. Go, Uncle Vanya. She takes Wojtski's arm. Come. You and Papa must make peace. That is absolutely necessary. Sonia and Wojtski go out. I am going away. She, she gives Ostrov her hand. Goodbye. So soon. The carriage is waiting. Goodbye. You promised me you would go away yourself today. I've not forgotten. I'm going at once. Were you frightened? Was it so terrible? Yes. Couldn't you stay? Couldn't you? Tomorrow, in the forest. No, it is all settled, and that is why I can look you so bravely in the face. Our departure is fixed. One thing I must ask of you, don't think too badly of me. I should like you to respect me. (laughs) Stay, I implore you. Confess that there is nothing for you to do in this world. You have no object in life. 
There is nothing to occupy your attention, and sooner or later your feelings must master you. It is inevitable. It would be better if it had happened not in Kharkov or in Kursk, but here, in nature's lap, it would then at least be poetical, even beautiful. Here you have the forests, the houses half in ruins that Turgenev writes of. How comical you are. I am angry with you, and yet I will always remember you with pleasure. You are interesting and original. You and I will never meet again. And so I shall tell you. Why should I conceal it? That I am just a little in love with you. Come, one more last pressure of our hands, and then let us part good friends. Let us not bear each other any ill will. Yes. Go. You seem to be sincere and good, and yet there is something strangely disquieting about all your personality. No sooner did you arrive here with your husband than everyone whom you found busy and actively creating something was forced to drop his work and give himself up for the whole summer to your husband's gout and yourself. You and he have infected us with your idleness. I've been swept off my feet. I have not put my hand to a thing for weeks during which sickness has been running its course unchecked among the people and the peasants have been pasturing their cattle in my woods and young plantations. Go where you will. You and your husband will always carry destruction in your train. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, and yet I am strangely sure that had you stayed here, we would have been overtaken by the most immense desolation. I would have gone to my ruin, and you... you would not have prospered. So go. E finita la comedia. Helena snatches a pencil off Ostrov's table and hides it with quick movement. I shall take this pencil for memory. How strange it is. We meet, and then suddenly it seems that we must part forever. That's the way of this world. As long as we are all alone, before Uncle Vanya comes in with a bouquet, allow me to kiss you goodbye. May I? He kisses her on the cheek. So splendid. I wish you every happiness. For once in my life, I shall and scorn the consequences. She kisses him impetuously and they quickly part. I must go. <clears throat> yes, go. If the carriage is there, then start at once. They stand listening. Finita. Voitsky, Sarah Brakov, Madame Voitskaya with her book, Telegin and Sonia come in. Shame on him who bears malice for the past. I have gone through so much in the last few hours that I feel capable of writing a whole treatise on the conduct of life for the instruction of posterity. I gladly accept your apology and myself ask your forgiveness. He kisses Voitsky three times. Helena embraces Sonia. Mother. Your picture taken, Alexander, and send me one. 
you know how dear you are to me. Goodbye, Your Excellency. Don't forget us. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Goodbye, all. Shaking hands with Astra. Many thanks for your pleasant company. I have a deep regard for your opinions and your enthusiasm, but let me, as an old man, give one word of advice at parting. Do something, my friend. Work. Do something. They all bow. Good luck to you all. He goes out, followed by Madame Voitskaya and Sonia. Voitsky kisses Helena's hand fervently. Bye. Forgive me. I shall never see you again. Goodbye, dear boy. She lightly kisses his head as he bends over her hand and goes out. I wanted to bring my carriage around too, Waffles. All right, old man. <laughs> Astroff and Voitsky are left behind alone. Astroff collects his paints and drawing materials on the table and packs them away in a box. Why don't you go to see them off? Let them go. I, I can't go out there. I feel too sad. I must go to work on something at once. To work. To work. He rummages through his papers on the table. A pause. The tinkling of bells is heard as the horses trot away. Ah, they've gone. The professor, I suppose, is glad to go. He couldn't be tempted back now by a fortune. Marina comes in. Uh, they have gone. She sits down in an armchair and knits her stocking. Sonia comes in, wiping her eyes. <sighs> they have gone. God be with them. And now, Uncle Vanya, let us do something. To work. To work. It is long, long since you and I have sat together at this table. She lights a lamp on the table. <sighs> no ink. She takes the ink stand to the cupboard and fills it from an ink bottle. <sighs> How sad it is to see them go. Madame Voitskaya comes in slowly. Gone. She sits down and at once becomes absorbed in her book. Sonia sits down at the table and looks through an account book. First, Uncle Vanya, let us write up the accounts. They are in a dreadful state. Come, begin. You will take one book, you'll take one, and I take the other. An account with... We sit silently writing. The Sandman has come. (laughs) How still it is. Their pens scratch, cricket sings, so warm and comfortable. I hate to go. The tinkling of bells is heard. My carriage has come. There now remains but to say goodbye to you, my friends, and to my table here, and then away. He puts the map into the portfolio. Don't. Hurry away. Sit a little longer with us. Uh, impossible. And carry forward from the old debt, 275. Workman comes in. Your carriage is waiting, sir. All right. He hands the workman his medicine case, portfolio, and box. Look out. Don't crush the portfolio. Very well, sir. 
When shall we see you again? Hardly before next summer. Probably not this winter, though, of course. If anything should happen, you would let me know. He shakes hands with them. Thank you for your kindness, for your hospitality, for everything. He goes up to Marina and kisses her head. Goodbye, old nurse. Are, are you going without your tea? Mm, I don't want any, nurse. Oh, won't you have a drop of vodka? Yes, I might. Marina goes out. My off-wheeler has gone lame for some reason. I noticed it yesterday when Peter was taking him to water. You should, you should uh, have him reshod. I shall have to go around to the blacksmiths on my way home. Can't be avoided. He stands looking at the map of Africa hanging on the wall. I suppose it is roasting hot in Africa now. Yes, I suppose it is. Marina comes back carrying a tray on which are a glass of vodka and a piece of bread. Help yourself. Astroff drinks. To your good health. She bows deeply. Eat your bread with it. No, I like it so. And now, goodbye. You needn't come to see me off, nurse. He goes out. Sonia follows him with a candle to light him to the carriage. Marina sits down in her armchair. On the 2nd of February, 20 pounds of butter... On the 16th, 20 pounds of butter again. Buckwheat flour. A pause. Bells are heard tinkling. He has gone. Sonia comes in and sets the candlestick on the table. He has gone. Total 15, 25. Sonia sits down and begins to write. Oh, the Lord have mercy. Telegan comes in on tiptoe, sits down near the door and begins to tune his guitar. My child, I am miserable. If only you knew how miserable I am. What can we do? We must live our lives. Yes. We shall live, Uncle Vanya. We shall live through the long procession of days before us and through the long evenings. We shall patiently bear the trials that fate imposes on us. We shall work for others without rest, both now and when we are old. And when our last hour comes, we shall meet it humbly. And there, beyond the grave, we shall say that we have suffered and wept, that our life was bitter, and God will have pity on us. Ah, then, dear, dear uncle, we shall see that bright and beautiful life. We shall rejoice and look back on our sorrow here, a tender smile, and we shall rest. I have faith, uncle. Fervent, passionate faith. Sonia kneels down before her uncle and lays her head on his hands. She speaks in a weary voice. 
We shall rest. Telegin plays softly on the guitar. We shall rest. We shall hear the angels. We shall see heaven shining like a jewel. We shall see all evil and all our pain sink away in the great compassion that shall enfold the world. Our life will be peaceful and tender and sweet as a caress. I have faith. I have faith. <sighs> My poor, poor Uncle Vanya. You are crying. You have never known what happiness was. But wait, Uncle Vanya, wait. We shall rest. She embraces him. We shall rest. The watchman's rattle is heard in the garden. Telegin plays softly. Madame Voitskaya writes something on the margin of her pamphlet. Marina knits her stocking. We shall rest. The curtain slowly falls. <laughs>